Amen. Hey, you guys can grab a seat. Uh, wow, that was some good stuff, wasn't it? I love it, especially because like it's all true. Uh, here's some words that are true, uh, written uh, 2,000 years ago, breathed by God, Hebrews chapter 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by, by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the, the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Now, now this morning is week seven of our summer of 2016 series, Heroes, uh, Amazing Stories of Faith. Since June the 19th, various heroes who have run and finished their race have stepped out of the stands and jogged the lap with us to encourage us, to, to challenge us, to cheer us on as you and I run our race of life, our race of faith. And and I got to tell you that the lessons, the, the warnings, the encouragement, the challenges that, you know, that, that, that Noah and Moses and Ruth and Daniel and Gideon and David have taught us the last few weeks have been powerful. And if we embrace them, they will be life-changing. Bottom line, what God wants each and every one of us to know this summer is that there really is a race that God has marked out for you. Uh, that there really is a life that God created you to live. That there really are things that God has formed and shaped you to do. Uh, turn to the person to your right and left, look them in the eye, and say, there's a race. Now look in the eye and say, there's a life. <laughs> I love it when people look the different ways, all right? We, we, we are challenged here, right? I saw the right hey, all right. But there's a race and there is a life that God has marked out for us. For we are God's handiwork, Paul said. Our masterpiece, our workmanship, it's the Greek word poema, where we get our, Greek, our English word poem. We are God's poem, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, would you pray with me? God, we love you. God, we thank you for the opportunity to, to come into your presence, to acknowledge your presence, to gather with your people, to open up your word, words that you breathed, words that are living and active, words that are sharper than a doubled-edged sword, words that come down like rain and snow come down from the skies, words that will water our life, that will cause things to bud and to flourish. And God, our hope and our confidence for the next few minutes are, are, are not in anything but your word. Your word is powerful, God. And I ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see what you'd want us to see, and our ears, that we would hear what you want us to hear, and our hearts, that we would receive the words you have for us today from the hero we're about to look at. And God, help me to share this message in a way that's it's all about you and brings you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, have you noticed that there seems to be increasingly more and more warning signs and labels everywhere? Yeah, in our day, there are warning labels on just about everything. And this week, I went online and started looking for crazy warning signs and labels. You know, the kind of things you find, you're thinking, like, seriously? You actually had to put that on there for somebody? You know, and, and here, here's the top 10, at least for me, what I found of warning signs, right? Number 10, caution. Water on road during rain. Good to know, right? Good to know. Never would have figured that one out, all right? I like this. It's a lawnmower, right? Number nine. 
rotating blade. Do not put hands or feet under or into the mower when the engine is running. Good to know, right? I've never been tempted to do that. Coming in at number eight would be, this is for a hair dryer, right? Um, I like number two. Do not place or store where dryer can fall or be pulled into tub, toilet, or sink. Do not use while bathing, right? I know you want to, you know, you're, you're trying to do two things at once, right? Multitask, right? Uh, do not use near a place of water. If dry, dryer falls into water, unplug immediately. Do not reach into the water, right? Unplug it first, right? Don't grab it. Unplug it first. Good, good to know. Uh, coming to number seven is another uh, hair dryer. Do not use while sleeping, right? <laughs> I don't know how you would do that, but don't, right? Don't use it while you're sleeping. Cause problems. I love this one. Do not iron while wearing the shirt, right? Okay. <laughs> oh, that's, literally, I shared this with somebody. I won't tell you who. I so much want to, but I will protect them, um, their identity. But they said, well, they, they tried to steam their shirt while wearing it one time, and it didn't work out so good. I, I, I so want to tell you who, but I'm not. Okay. Um, number five, uh, do not put any person in this washer, right? Okay. No. All right. No people allowed. Don't do that. All right, do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw, right? Okay, all right. Hey, now I know why, right? Okay, shouldn't do that. All right, I love, do not, not to be used for drying pets, which means someone tried to do that, right? Come on, my little kitty's wet. Just put them in the microwave and oh my goodness. Oh, okay, wash inside out, remove child before washing. <laughs> Good to know. I like that one. And here's number one, right? Okay. Touching wires causes instant death. And if instant death doesn't get your attention, we're going to fine you $200, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, $200, do not pass go, go straight to the grave, something like that. But it, there are just a lot of signs out there, a lot of warning signs that don't seem necessary. But here's what we do know. We know that there are certain times when we need to be warned, that, that we're in a dangerous situation because ignoring those warning signs can lead to some pretty devastating consequences. You know, I, I saw a, a warning, not a sign, but a warning when I was driving back from New York with the Romanian team, pouring down rain in between D.C. and Baltimore. You know, the kind of rain, it's dark, the kind of rain where the road's hot and where it's missing up, it's foggy. And I'm in, I'm in uh, the right-hand lane, next to the right-hand lane, and the car in front of me just slams their brakes on, right? I'm in this 12-passenger van. I start hitting my brakes, and I'm thinking... There is no way in the world I am not running into the back of that car at 45 miles. It's just, it's impossible. Well, God, God had to do it, right? Somehow, somehow I missed that car, was able to get into the next lane and floored it, and we were fine, right? But, but if I'd ignored that, right, it, it would have been devastating, you know? And parents who had kids in there, they're safe, right? Yeah. You, that should prove you can trust me, not that you shouldn't put them... <laughs> When I told this first service, my wife, who was a youth pastor, goes, no, don't tell parents that. No, I want you to be, no, you're, they're safe because they're crazy drivers out there. You know, one of them could have been you. All right. But, okay, the hero that we're unpacking today was one of God's prophets, and um, he's a pretty well-known one at that. Now, the prophets were God's messengers who oftentimes warned God's people of destruction that was coming, of devastation that was on its way if they didn't change and do some, some things differently. In fact, we read these words in the final chapter of the book of Second Chronicles. 
as the city of Jerusalem falls and is destroyed, it's kind of like the, the summary statement that comes on the screen after we watch scene after scene of the disobedience God's people and the destruction that it brought upon the nation. And God says this, and the Lord, God of their father, sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. You know, why does God warn? Because he has compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, which in our time is us. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against the people till there was no remedy. Till there was no remedy. You see, if we, if we keep ignoring the brake lights, the warnings that God sends us, you know, we're going to run, not, not into the back of a car, we're going to find ourselves running smack into the wrath of God. Uh, I, here, here's a picture. Uh, this one I probably shouldn't have shown, but that, that's not our van, right? But, you know, that, that's the van. I just looked that up this morning. Like, that's, that's, you ignore a warning sign, right? I mean, that's, that's what can happen to people, to people's lives. Listen, when it says that God would rise up early, it doesn't mean that God set an alarm clock and got up early in the day. No, it means that God, before, before the tragedy struck, before there was devastation, before sin's roots got so deep that there would be no way of escaping the full impact of its consequences, God would speak and God would warn the people, look, there's some things in your life that you need to change. Now, the prophets, this is in your notes, would occasionally predict a dramatic future event that had been revealed by God, something in the future that's going to happen. But they would regularly give a message of warning from God to his people. Men like Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel would hear from God, and then they would speak on God's behalf, and they would say to God's people, you need to hit the brakes and turn around. You can't keep going down the road you're going down. Let me tell you where all this is going to end. Let me tell you what's going to become of this nation, what's going to become of your family, what's going to become of your life if you don't start doing some things differently. In Maple Grove this morning, we're going to meet one of those prophets. His name is Elijah, and the name Elijah means my God is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. And Elijah arrives on the scene about 900 years before Christ, and at this time, Israel was politically and economically prospering under the rule of a king named Ahab. Peace was established with Judah in the south, and also a mutually advantageous alliance had been formed with the Phoenicians on the coast, who were the undisputed leaders in international trade on the seas. I mean, peace and prosperity, not bad things in and of themselves. But before we start a re-elect Ahab campaign, Let's do a little more vetting and find out who this guy really is. Because there's, there's more, than, more to being a great leader than simply making us happy, bringing about peace, and filling our pocketbooks. In fact, the ultimate criteria for any leader is what does the leader, what does God think of him? After all, God is the one, Daniel says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, God is the one who raises up and brings down both kings and kingdoms. So as we do some vetting of Ahab, we come to 1 Kings chapter 16, and we find some need-to-know stuff about him. 
uh, that he ruled for 22 years, and that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbel, king of the Sidonians, and he began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar to Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Okay, that's not a very good resume, is it, for a guy wanting to be a leader of God's people? And let me just say that his selection of a, of a wife was not very good. Jezebel was a terrible woman. Terrible woman. I mean, she's so terrible that, that her name, right, has come down to, uh, to be a symbol of evil. If you were to you know, look at the dictionary for Jezebel, right, it, it, it's, it's got a definition. A wicked, shameless woman, right? I've, I've never met anyone named Jezebel. And it never, I have three daughters. I was never tempted to name any daughter of mine Jezebel. Just never, never wanted to do that. She was evil. She was a worshiper of Baal. And she was determined to have the worship of Baal uh, declared as the official religion of Israel. Baal was the god of fertility, the god of crops, the god of rain. And Baal worship included human sacrifice. It was usually accompanied by drunken orgies and all kinds of sexual perversion. And this is what made it so popular with the people. Hey, I'm going to worship, right? And what made it so detestable to God. And guess who were the main obstacles to Jezebel's religious pursuits? Yep, you guessed it, the prophets of God. And so this evil queen launches a bloody campaign against God's prophets. She has hundreds of God's prophets murdered and forces many more to go into hiding. Then one day a guy named Elijah comes along onto the scene in chapter 17 of 1 Kings. He just kind of pops in out of nowhere and this is a very courageous move on his part, right? I mean, he, many prophets have already been murdered. Many, many are hiding. He's got a price on his head, right? All God's prophets wanted dead or dead. You know, I, I kind of picture him as a, a William Wallace kind of guy. And you just know that Jezebel had a hate hearing his name even spoken. I mean, Ahab comes up to her and says, my queen, what is it? I just want to let you know that one of God's prophets is riding into town. His name is... My God is Yahweh, and he has a message for us. Elijah said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel is, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Awesome, bold, direct, powerful to the point. Elijah saying, Ahab, because you have encouraged the worship of Baal, the worship of this so-called rain God, for the next several years there will be no rain and not even dew on the ground until I give the word, and then you and all the people will know just how pathetic and pitiful this so-called God Baal really is. James talks about this prayer, right, that Elijah prayed. It says that, James says that the, you know, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then it says, Elijah was what? A man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain for three and a half years. Prayer is powerful. And let, let me remind you of, of a prayer that, that, that you and I must continue to pray all the time. Anybody know what I'm going to say? Pray for one. Man, we got to pray for that all the time, every day. 
Every day throughout the day, God, please show me one person that I can share your love with today. Uh, a couple uh, weeks ago, I, I was uh, heading into Panera's by Barracks Road, um, and, uh, getting some work done. I had to pick May Lee up after from a sewing class, and, and uh, as I'm getting ready to go to Panera's, I get my text reminder. Uh, if, you're not, if you're not getting your text reminder for pray for one, I encourage you to do that and say, oh, okay, wow, I got to pray for one. You know, I forgot about that. And I, I just pray. I said, God, I'm coming to Panera's. I'm never down here. You know, Lord, give me somebody that I can show your love to. So uh, I order my, my frozen mocha with an extra shot. They're like, you know, there's shots in there. I go, yes, I know there's shots in there, but I want more. I want more caffeine, right? I, I, I need them, you know. And as I'm sitting there waiting, some, some guy walks up to me. He goes, hey, what's, what are these bands on your wrist for? And I go, well, well I said, this one here is this. I went to a youth conference move and by being a kingdom worker, and a lot of things impacted me, and I wear this to remind myself of the things that God taught me. And this green one is pursue. It's, our church is trying to pursue the, the missions and action of Christ to, you know, to seek the lost, show compassion, and make disciples. And I said, and this one here is to remind me to, that one matters, that every person matters, and I'm going to pray for one every day and, and pray that God will help me show his love to somebody. He goes, well, I'm I'm done with God. He says, you know, I was supposed to meet a pastor here today. And I was giving God one more chance to show up in my life, and he didn't show up. And they started to walk away. I said, hey, my, my name. <laughs> I, I, I said, hey, my, my name is Steve. What's your name? It's Gary. I said, hey, look, man, dude. I said, dude, if you want to talk, you know, I, I'm just right here. I don't interrupt you. I said, nah, this, this, is, this is perfect. So he came and sat down. And, you know, it's obvious this guy, you know, he's from Cali been here for a while, but, you know, it was a Jesus follower. I mean, you know, the stuff he knew and stuff he shared. When someone tells me, you know, I did the, you know, the precept study, I'm like, okay, this guy, <laughs> he even knows what the precept study is. And, but he'd just been turned off from churches and people and Christians and was just done. Didn't believe in God anymore. You know, people just weren't showing up. And we started talking and had a good conversation. And you know, so he, he, that morning he had deleted his Bible app off his phone. I said, this is my, I gave God a last shot. And, you know, and he says, you know, I got a I'm homeless. I, I can't, if I get out to California, I got a buddy to get me a job, but you know, there's no way I can get out there. I need X amount of money. I go, how much you need? He says, I said, you know what? I think our church can help you. He goes, no, you don't. No, you won't. I said, no, I think we can. We got a fund set aside, and I think this is like a divine encounter. Like, I prayed, and you're here, you know, and you're ready to give up on God. And, and, and he goes, how, how can I trust that you'll do this? I said, dude, I said, I'll go to, I'll, I'll go to Wells Fargo right now. I got my debit card. You know, you know, we can take care of it right now. And, and, and I said, uh, my only string attached is this. I guess, well, two strings. One, you got to put your Bible app back on your phone. Uh, and number two, you got to give God another shot. You know, his name's Gary, uh, Gary Joyner. And I've uh, been trying to call me, he hasn't called me back yet. But, you know, I prayed for one, right? And here's a guy giving up on God. It, that's the prayer God wants to answer. And if you pray for one, God will bring someone into your life every day that you can share his love with. That's a prayer that God wants to answer. Amen? Well, let's not forget that, right? That's our one job, right? We can get so caught up in life and church junk, right, that we forget our one job is to rescue people who are dying, right, and going to hell. Well, three years into the drought, Elijah uh, arranges a meeting with King Ahab, and Ahab really isn't too uh, happy with them. Um, you know, as he sees them, he's like, okay, here comes the guy who brought all this trouble on my nation. 
My economy is tanking, right? Inflation is high. Unemployment is up. You know, there's no rain. There's no crops. You did this, Elijah. Elijah replied, I've not made trouble for Israel, but you and your family's father, your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Yes, king, I'm, I'm calling you out. I'm calling your wife out. I'm calling your prophets out. And I'm calling all of God's people out. And what I want to do is I want to unpack this event by looking at, at the choice, the challenge, and the consequences. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and he said, and now picture the scene, thousands of people, 850 false prophets, and one not so popular prophet by the name of Elijah. And Elijah says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Like I said, Elijah's calling them out. Uh, you've been taught that you must follow God and walk in his ways and have no God before him. But this Jezebel comes along and she says that it's okay for you to, to worship other gods. She's wrong. You're wrong. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said what? Said what? Nothing. Turn to the person right left and say nothing. 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 Why did they say nothing? Answer, because they wanted both. I mean, think about it. If they really only wanted God, they'd say, hey, we only want God. If they really only wanted Baal, hey, we want Baal. But they said nothing because they really wanted both. And, and you know what? I, I think that's true for many of us. You see, it's not that we don't want God in our lives. I mean, who wouldn't want an all-powerful, gracious, merciful, mighty God in our corner, right? We just want God in something else too. Uh, we want God to share his position of glory, authority, and devotion in our lives. But listen, listen, that is not how our God rolls. Our God is a jealous God. And he demands that we love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. All means all. All means all. No divided hearts are allowed. And, and listen, the, the truth is, when we choose, when we try to choose both our version of Baal and God, the truth is, we have, when we do that, we have, whether we want to admit it, accept it, believe it or not, we have chosen to not follow God. You see, God has never left the option open to us for us to serve and worship two masters. I love what Kyle Eidelman writes. God declines to sit atop an organizational flowchart. He is the organization. He's not interested in being president of the board. He is the board. And life doesn't work until everyone else sitting around the table of the boardroom of your heart is fired. He is God. And there are no other applicants for the position. There are no partial gods, no honorary gods, no interim gods, no assistant to the regional gods. And I put that in your notes, and if you're taking notes, just circle that phrase, and life doesn't work 
until. Maybe that's why your life's not working out so good right now. Because life will not work out until, right? Until everybody at the boardroom of our heart is fired. And maybe right now in your life that there are things, there are people, there are habits, there are behaviors, there are idols, there are false gods sitting around the boardroom of your heart that they need to be fired. Get it? Good. Again, picture the powerful scene going down on Mount Carmel nearly 3,000 years ago. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And I know it's really difficult for you and I, sophisticated Americans, right, to see ourselves as idol worshipers. I mean, that's just primitive Old Testament stuff, right? But perhaps the following question, I got eight questions in your notes that pop up on the screen that are designed to, to help us locate and uncover potential problem areas in our lives. Areas where we may have put other gods before the one and true only God. Places where you and I have put our hope and places we have sought life in rather than in God. And listen, these are really good to ask because when things are like they were in the days of Elijah, when things are going kind of good in our life, fairly good, you know, a wife likes us, the dog likes us, right? I mean, it's going pretty good. Uh, we tend to think everything's okay with God, right? And maybe it is okay with God. But maybe we're not okay with God. And so here's some questions that will help you and help me to see if there's any idols in our life. Question number one, what disappoints you? Question, what are you most disappointed with? Maybe it's your career, maybe it's your financial status, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your marriage. What are you most disappointed with? I understand, whatever we are most disappointed with points to something that we've put our hope in. You see, instead of putting our hope in God, we put our hope in this or in that. And when it doesn't work out, we live with this disappointment and this despair. Now, now, now some disappointment, of course, it's natural. I'm not talking about that. I, I mean, there's just, there's just this constant disappointment in your life. What causes that? Erwin Lutzer suggests, he says, have you ever thought that our disappointments are God's way of reminding us that there are idols in our lives that must be dealt with. Another question, what do you complain about the most? I understand what we complain about often and frequently has a way of revealing something that we put our hope in, something that has replaced God in some way in our life. If we constantly complain about money, about sex, about the lack of respect at work, etc., maybe they become more to us than they should be. Again, what we complain about often reveals what really has power over us. Number three, what do you sacrifice your time and money for? And this is one of the obvious ways, right, to know who or what our God is. Do you sacrifice time and money for the Lord and for his church, for Maple Grove, if this is your church home? Or do you sacrifice time and money for, I don't know, maybe Maybe a person, maybe a job, maybe your home, maybe your car, maybe a hobby, maybe recreation. What do you sacrifice for? Remember the Bible says where your treasure is, there is your heart also. You see, if we really want to know who or what we worship, right, all we got to look at is how do we spend our time and how do we spend our money, right? 
It's just objective truth. You know, just like a bathroom scale, right? Objective truth, right? <laughs> don't step on it if you don't want to know the truth, right? Because it's going to tell you. It's not going to negotiate with you. No, you, you ate too much the last 20 years. <laughs> and you got some work to do. Number four, what do you worry about? What scares you? What do you think if I lost this or I lost that, if I lost this relationship with this person, life wouldn't be worth living? Worry has a way of showing who or what we worship. Understand, whatever it is that wakes us up in the middle of the night or keeps us up through the night has the potential to be an idol in our life. Number five, where do you go when you get hurt? I think this is a big one. Where do we... Where do we go when life is hard? Where do we find comfort? Do we come home after a long day and open up the refrigerator and grab some comfort food? I mean, that's even what we call it, right? And instead of turning to God, we help ourselves feel better by maybe eating or maybe drinking. Or maybe you get into a fight with your spouse and you feel rejected, so where do you go for comfort? Do you enter the pagan temple of a pornographic website and try to find some comfort there? Where do you go for comfort? Maybe we turn on the television after a hard day where life has just gone poorly and we flip through the channels and we just kind of go numb and we don't have to think about things. And this is what I'm trying to say. Where we go for comfort reveals where we put our hope. It reveals it's this honest moment that shows us if we're, whether or not if we're going to God with our problems and our challenges and our pain and our sufferings or we're going to something or somebody else. Bottom line, when we go to something or someone other than God, first and primarily with the hurts and the pain of life, it is a way of revealing what has become an idol. Uh, number six, what makes you mad? What makes you angry? When, when your team loses and it, and it ruins your whole week, what's that telling you? What's that telling you? Or, or, or maybe someone treats you with disrespect and it just makes you angry. I mean, why do these people, even complete strangers who cut us off in traffic, have so much power over us? Maybe it's because we've made other people's respect to God. Number seven, what brings you the most joy? What makes you laugh? And listen, this is where it gets a little bit tricky and challenging because some of what gives us joy, I mean, there's nothing evil or wrong about them. In fact, these things are often gifts from God. They're good gifts from God. But instead of of allowing these gifts to draw us closer to God, these gifts actually become competition for God. You see, sometimes instead of worshiping the, the giver, we begin to worship the gift. So what are some things that make you happy? And instead of rejoicing in the Lord with those things, maybe we're allowing those things to replace them. It's like, well, I don't really feel the need to draw close to God right now because I get everything else. I'm enjoying God's blessings too much to feel the need to draw closer to God. Last question, whose applause do you long for? Whose approval are we living for? Maybe it's a boss, spouse, a parent, a friend. Question, whose applause and approval? I mean, who do you need here? Who do you need to hear say, you're pretty, you're smart, you're talented, you're competent? Understand the applause and approval that we are seeking and who we're seeking it from tells a lot about who's actually on the throne of our heart. And in your notes, ultimately an idol is anything or anyone other than God that takes the passion, value, the hope, the glory, 
and the commitment of our lives. So an idol then is just kind of this cheap substitute for God. Where we look to someone or something to do for us what God wants to do for us. It's when we try to find life and meaning in something other than the God who created us and who redeemed us. So, are there any idol worshipers in this room besides me? How, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. That was God's people's choice on Mount Carmel, and that's God's people's choice today in this very room. If the Lord is God, follow him. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Now for the challenge. Now the sage is set for the greatest cage match in human history. I mean, let's see whose God is the real deal. And in this corner, wearing black trunks, are the 850 false prophets. And in this corner, all by himself, because God's invisible, right, is Elijah. Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. That's a lot of people. Get two bulls for us, let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood and not set fire to it. Then you call the name of your God, and I'll call the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said what? What you say is good. I wish they didn't say that. I wish they had said, no, we don't need to do this. We already know who God is. we, We don't need some test. We know who the real Lord is, but they didn't. I don't know, did they really think maybe God would lose? I mean, were they placing bets? I don't know. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. I'm going to put, I'm putting 20 on bail. You know, I'm putting on 20 on bail right now. He's going to do it. I, I don't know. But I wish they would have stopped the process. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. I'll let you guys go first. Since there's so many of you. Call in the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, four to six hours. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, I love Elijah. He began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy. And in Hebrew, I'm not kidding, you know, Hebrew, that word busy, it kind of means like maybe he's on the toilet, right? You know, maybe he is, he's on the toilet. I didn't need to say any more, right? Maybe your guy's on the toilet. Maybe your guy's traveling. Hey, maybe your guy is sleeping. You know, he took too many Tylenol PMs and you, know, you got to wake him up. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Man, what a. What a sad and tragic scene. I mean, 850 men desperately trying to get their false god to answer. I mean, they're cutting themselves with their swords. I mean, they are literally bleeding out for this god. And they're getting no answer. They're getting nothing back from this god. And you know what? You and I, we look at them, we think, that's ridiculous. That's primitive. 
bleeding for those idols. But are we really all that different? I think oftentimes we too have bled for our gods. Some have bled out on the altar of alcohol or some other substance. I mean, they have sacrificed almost everything to worship that God. Others have bled out for the God of sexual pleasure, sacrificing their value, their worth, their their purity, their marriage, their peace, their walk with God. Yes, many in our culture have bled out for that God of sexual pleasure. I understand we still many times in a frantic frenzy bleed out for our gods, hoping that money, that success, that pleasure, that good times, that applause, that accomplishments, that popularity, that approval, etc. hoping these things will give us life, hoping these things will send down fire and light up our sacrifice and give us life, but they don't. They can't. Not really. Not long term. No matter how much we bleed out for them. It's never enough. You see, as we dance and shout and bleed out, we discover, it's in your notes, that false gods don't give, they take. They leave us empty, and we try to numb that emptiness with other false gods. Why? Because just one false god won't do, right? You got to get another one. That one worked for a while, but now I need another one. Question, where have these gods and idols really taken us? Are they delivering what they promise? Can they save us? Well, after hours of this insane, tragic, pathetic display, 12 plus hours, it's finally Elijah's turn. And Elijah comes up and he digs a trench around his altar. And he says, hey, what I want you to do, I want you to drench the, the altar and sacrifice with gallons and gallons of water. Soak it down. They did it. He said, do it again. They did it again. Hey, do it a third time. I mean, he soaked it so much that the trench around it was filled with water. You know, I, I think he did, maybe he was doing this because he didn't want a skeptic to come along years later and say, well, you know, this really wasn't God. It was some kind of spontaneous combustion from the swords that the, the false prophets were doing, the latent sparks that were flying around. But anyhow, after the third time, and it's totally drenched, Elijah steps forward and, 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 and prays a simple prayer. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you're turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Yeah, you think? And once again, the story is as it always should be about the glory and the worship of God. Amen? The consequences for not choosing to follow God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. But that seems severe to us because we're We're not used to justice. Instead, we're more familiar with suspended sentences, plea bargains, and early parole. But brothers and sisters, our God is a jealous God and a just God. He deals severely with sin, and all rivals to his glory and purposes must be overthrown. Understand there is severity in love. Sometimes a cancer surgeon may have to remove an arm or leg in order to save 
a person's life. In 1 Kings 18, God was amputating a portion of the people to save the nation. Now, I doubt that our consequences will be that dramatic. But nevertheless, there is a price to pay when we choose to not follow God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. Remember, a divided heart and divided allegiance equals idolatry. And you see, with us like the Israelites, it's not so much the idol itself. Hear me. But, but, but it's what the idol causes us to do. It's who the idol causes us to become or not to become. It's the life they keep us from living. It's the race they keep us from running. It's the good they keep us from doing. It's the peace they keep us from experiencing. But hey, is, it, is idolatry really that big of a deal? I don't know. Let me read a few verses from the final book of the Bible and see what you think, or rather what God says. Revelations 21, verse 8. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is a fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Revelation 21, 27. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, that is heaven, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 22, 15. Outside the city are the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. Our consequences. Now, now you, know what, you know what helps me to, in understanding and seeing life through this lens of idolatry is understand that idolatry is not just offensive to God, it is hurtful to God. It, it doesn't just offend God, it, it hurts God because God loves us and, and God and God wants what's best for us, and God knows what's best for us. And because he loves us, the Bible says that he is a jealous God. He's jealous for our hearts. And the prophet Ezekiel actually says that when we give our hearts to another, it's as if God is being cheated on. It's like we're having an affair, and that's how it hurts God. And that's why God sent another prophet to his people by the name of Hosea. And Hosea is told by God to to marry a, a prostitute named Gomer. When I see Gomer, I think of Gomer Pyle. Yeah, Shazam, right? And, and that's our request if you're a preacher, right? Go marry a prostitute. That seems strange enough. And then her name's Gomer. It gets even weirder. But God said to Hosea, 1 verse 2, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will conceive in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. And so he goes and finds Gomer. He goes to the bad part of town. He goes to the Red Lake District. He buys her from her pimp. He takes her home and he marries her. And things are going okay. He doesn't quite get it, but it's what God told him to do. And then one day, Hosea comes home, and guess what? She's not there. He can't find her. And it occurs to him that maybe she's gone back to her old life. And he goes there, and he's kind of short of breath. He's kind of panicky. And there he sees his wife on the street corner with her arms around another man leading him into a house of prostitution. And Hosea is devastated. God, God, what am I supposed to do now? You told me to marry her, and I did. Now look what's happened. What am I supposed to do now, God? And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back, and I want you to buy her a second time. And I want you to show your love to her. I want you to bring her back home. What? 
Are you kidding me? Why? So the people will know how much I love them. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Man, aren't you glad God loves us even though that we worship an even though God, even though we're messed up, even though we make mistakes, even though we turn away from him, he still loves us. Yes, we have offended God. Uh, we've hurt God by allowing other things, other people to become more important than he is. Uh, we push God down. He's not a priority. If he's lucky, we're going to give him one week, an hour, a week, check it off the box, say, God, you should feel very grateful. <laughs> you know, you should feel grateful, God, that I gave you some of my time. And even though we treat him like this, God, you know what God still says? I want you back. God says, you know what? I, I still love you with all my heart. W would you love me back the same way? Yeah. I still love you with all my heart. Will you love me back the same way? And so the warning from the prophet Elijah is that there is nothing and there's no one that's to sit on the throne of our hearts other than God. And, and I think what God wants all of us to do, right? You know, because, you know, I'm convinced, well, I know this. Yeah. I know I'm messed up, right? And you know it too, right? I have a lot of amens when I said that, you know. And, and I'm kind of thinking you're messed up too, right? And, and, and so I think it'd be good to get honest and real with ourselves before our God. You know, and, and if there's something or, or there's someone that, that we say, God, God, I love you, but you, 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 know, you got to share my heart with them. You got to share my heart with that. You can't have all my heart because this or that or this has part of my heart. You need to repent of that sin. And you need to put God back in his rightful place. Why? So that your story can be about his glory. Why? So that you can live the life you're created to live. Why? So that you can become the person that you most want to be. Why? So that you can have life in all its fullness. If God is God, follow him. And follow him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And Elijah would say, as you're running the lap with them, right, he's got to go back in the stands, right? He's done. He only got one lap. It's all he gets. He's going back in the stands. He's finished his race, right? And Elijah would say, if you're not, Elijah would say, look, if, if you've not been doing that, you know, if you have not been putting me first, you still can change that today. You see, we like gray, right? Here's, you know, we, we like to live, right? One foot in the world, right? One foot with God, right? right? We like gray. We, we like gray, but here, here's the deal, here's the deal, and, and I, I didn't make up this rule. See, it's either all in or we're not in, you know? God wants all because he gave us his all, and it's because it's what's best for us, right? He knows. He knows. It, it, it's kind of like God knows he's, he's watching us drink, you know, you know, contaminated water, right? And he knows, hey, I got real water that's really going to not make you sick. It's going to make you healthy. I really wish you would drink this water and not drink this stuff that's bad for you. You keep drinking the wrong stuff. 
I got stuff here that you'll never thirst again. And, and he wants you to drink the living water that he offers because it's best for you. you know? The best thing you and I can do is to go all in for God and to cast down all our idols and, and, and to purge them out of our lives this week and spend some time reflecting on it. But I do want you to know that you serve an even though God, right? That even though, even though you're screwed up, even though you messed up last night, you know, even though you're thinking about messing up later today, God doesn't give a rip, right? God says, I still love you. I still want you. And if you'll give me your all, I've already given you my all. Amen? You know, this time of the service, every week we come down and, and it's our response time. And we worship, we hear the word. And I think part of our response, again, is to do some reflecting, right? You know, and, and get real with, before your God. You know, I got to get real for mine. I got some idols, you know, you know, and, and, and um, one of my idols sometimes is church success, you know, that's an idol. I get disappointed sometimes in church as a preacher. Wow, there wasn't a lot of people there today, you know, wow, is that my idol? Is that what makes me sad? You know, you know, that's stupid. That's stupid. I don't want that to be an idol. I don't be this, you know, I, I got God, right? Yeah, I got God, you know, and, and, but I, I'm going to do some serious thinking, man, because I, I, I want everything that God has for me, and I want you to experience everything that God has for you. And, and so maybe what you need today is you need to repent. You know, it's a good word, you know. Craziness, craziness. I'm driving to church this morning, you know, uh, Spirit FM ain't working. It usually is not working, even when it's working, but f- at least for me. And, 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 and uh, so I turn on 97.5 Classic Rock. I have no idea what they're talking about, but just as I pull in the parking space, the guy literally says this. I go, that's crazy. It's nuts. He goes, hey, well, it's Sunday. One thing you definitely should do is repent. And I'm going, like, what, what is this? 90, what are they even talking about? Because I had to come. I said, what are you, you know, hey, it's, it's Sunday. Yeah, it's a day to repent, right? And it is a day. Repent's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. We turn back to God and, man, find that God is already here, arms open for us. And we also, at this time, we, this is when we take communion. And we remember what Jesus did for us, that, that he, you know, he didn't go halfway. You know, he wasn't half in and half out. You know, he gave his whole life, and he bled out for us, right? He bled out for us, and that blood causes our sins to be forgiven. And we celebrate that every week. We celebrate with great joy, right? Because we don't have to earn this. It's a gift from God. And, and so off to the side, we have these stations, and you can grab a a cup, and it's got a cracker in it and juice, and remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus and celebrate that. You're all welcome to participate in that. And, and that's where we collect our offerings. We don't pass a plate. Um, you can give online, text to give, all that craziness, and we also have offering boxes there. You can drop that in. Um, but if you guys would stand, I'm going to pray really briefly, and when I say amen, just go to your very stations. God, we love you, and God, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for Elijah, and thank you for being an even-though God. And God, I, I pray for each one of us, God, that, that we would cast down every idol, everything that's before you. And God, and I pray that we know, God, that, it, it, that no matter what we've done, you always want us back. There's always a road back to where you want us. In Jesus' name, amen.